Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth, Episode 3, with Tully Foot in cooperation with Vvolver. Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. Welcome to Robots in Depth. Today I'm honored to have uh, Tully Foot from OSRF, Open Source Robotics Foundation here. And we're going to talk about making robotics software and hardware available for everyone. And I think your work is just great because I think having an open source available for everyone platform that we can stand on is essential. Could you tell me how the, this, the story got started? Sure. So um, a lot of the story of Ross got started at Willow Garage. Um, we wanted to come in and provide for robotics what we saw happen for the web industry. We saw that the, there was an open source core that a lot of different communities built on top of and could come in and build, um, put together their application because all these core components were there and available. And so we're, um, a lot of this came out of uh, Eric and Keenan were grad students at Stanford and they were trying to build a robot. And what they encountered was that they wanted to do some research on a robot. And the first thing they had to do was design a robot that would be able to do their research. The next step is they had to build said robot after mm -hmm. having designed it. And then by the time they designed it, they got a fully functioning robot. They could uh, remotely operate it to do things like um, they have some awesome demo videos of cleaning up a uh, living room, putting cushions back on the sofa, picking toys off the floor. And now they wanted to add software to this to do this autonomously. And they looked around and there was no framework to do this. There was nothing generally available that they could start as a base and then do their specific application for mm. their robot. Again, they had to start all over again, doing it from scratch rather than yep. they already done that. They already done that with, 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 with designing it and doing the hardware. So I'm thinking the third time they had to start from scratch, they, they thought there had to be a better idea, right? Yeah, and so um, Eric and Keenan brought this to Scott Hassan at Willow Garage and Steve as well. And basically the goal was that we would be able to build up a community and the entire ecosystem and get everybody working on the same page. Because one of the th great things about open source is you can put together all this collaboration and when two people are working in parallel, they, they, don't get, they don't duplicate each other's work. One person can do part A, one person mm. can do part B, and I can build on top of part A, and you can get twice as far with two people. Yeah, and also, I mean, we're all we all have our strengths and weaknesses, and, and, and if you do what what is um, hard for everyone, but easiest the possibility for you, we all we all do what we are best at, and, and that just makes it grow that much faster, rather than you having to do things that you're not really suitable for. Especially, yeah. I mean, the robotics is this uh, an industry that brings in expertise from electronics, computer, mechanical. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing things well, uh, you start bringing psychology for HRI and all these other things. You need to bring everything together. And so having this open source platform is great, because you can start with a platform, and each person who's in their specialty can improve the state of the art for their specialty and not mm. have to re-implement everything that is not their specialty. Yeah. One of the challenges, like as Eric and Keenan were at Stanford, your typical grad student, when they want to do a project, they start off, they read the state of the literature on all topics, mm. even though they want to do research in one particular area. Then they have to go and implement all those topics to a level that's functional enough 
that they can do this, the state-of-the-art research in their topic. Mm -hmm. Which is just a huge waste of time and yep. very inefficient. And, and I would also presume that a lot of people and a lot of projects fall by the wayside in this process because they simply think that what I have to do to even start doing what I want is simply too much. I'm not going to go there. But with a solid foundation, we could really accelerate things. And, and this is what we've been seeing coming out of Willow Garage and the Open Source Robotics Foundation, that it really does this. Huh? Yeah, and it's the so in addition to putting together ROS and this core platform, we also we needed to be able to show that um, you can do collaboration on hardware. And mm. so the uh, we put together the PR2 was designed to be this demonstration platform that you can do collaborative robotics on similar platforms in different locations using open source software. And the great thing was. I know that there were people that uh, had publishable research mm -hmm. approximately one week after receiving their PR2 because they could leverage the tools in the ecosystem that was already there. The robot came, it worked out of the box. All the core functionality was there mm -hmm. and they could just add their little bit of research. In addition, they had all the tools such as the simulation. So before they actually had the robot, they could practice using the robot in simulation. Your first platform for hardware was then of course the PR2, right? Mm -hmm. Are you also available in other platforms right now? Yes, the ROS is available on almost every robot that I know of. Mm -hmm. um, basically, if you're out there and you want to leverage the ROS ecosystem, the first thing you do is you make your robot uh, be able to communicate with ROS. Because uh, once you have the core communications, things like drive forward, turn mm -hmm. left, turn right, um, tilt the head or move the arm, once you get that very basic ROS interface, all of a sudden, the entire ROS ecosystem becomes available to you. You can use the motion planning libraries that are integrated. You can use the vision and perception libraries. Hmm. Um, you can use the higher level logic, which allows you to give your robot the, like, this is my task, this is what I want you to do, and these are the subtasks that I want you to do at the same time. Hmm. All that's available, and all you have to do is make the lower level um, communications available to your robot. Mm -hmm. So the, the, that's when somebody has hardware, that, and, and of course adding, if you, if you produce sensors or components in robots, you could also do the same thing there, adapting it to ROS. Exactly, and mm -hmm. we have, um, in ROS we've developed standard interfaces. So mm -hmm. if you have a laser scanner, and you wanna, there's a lot of algorithms out there for processing laser scanners. Um, but they, if they all have the same input mm -hmm. as we've designed into ROS, mm -hmm. then any, you can plug in any laser scanner. And if a new laser scanner comes along, mm -hmm. it gets invented this year, it's better, it's longer range, mm -hmm. it does new cheaper. features, mm -hmm. cheaper, any of those things, mm -hmm. you can now simply use that same algorithm and plug in the new laser scanner. Mm, really cool. All you have to do is have a ROS driver that says, Here's the data from the laser, send it out as a ROS message. So who contributes a lot of work to the project right now? So the, uh, we have 200 people contributing release software to the ecosystem. Um, there are many, many more people not releasing things, collaborating in uh, private repositories. Uh, one of the great things about ROS is it's completely open. Uh, so we can talk a bit about the license here. So completely open, free as in beer and free as in speech, I guess, right? So we, have, we use the BSD license as our default recommended license. And with that license, it means that, um, I mean, it has three clauses. But in general, you can take that software, build it into your product, and there's no requirements except that you keep the license at the top of the header. Um, there are a couple other like warranty type things, like delivered yeah, as is. The great thing about the BSD license is that it is 
something like 20 lines long. Mm. Very you, easy. Can, you can read it. Mm. It's very permissive. Mm. Um, mm. In general, companies that come and look at it, like BSD license is something that they're like, great, we can use that, no mm. problem. Because mm. mm. it's easy to understand this, and, and, and it's also not changed. I mean, if it is a BSD license, it's just that it's it's been that way for a very long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's something everyone knows. So, yeah, this is very accessible. We're on many different robots. Could you mention a few of the robots except the PR2 that that runs ROS now? Uh, sure. So there's the whole line of ClearPath robots that's running ROS. Um, if you look around in the expo hall here at Robo Business, uh, the new go kart announced by Eugen Robot is running ROS. Um, I've I've also heard that the Vecna robots are leveraging ROS inside mm -hmm. there. Um, and the other thing that's really valuable in ROS is not just what robots are there, mm -hmm. but what tools are available. Mm -hmm. We have developer tools, debugging tools, visualization tools, so that when you put ROS onto a system, you don't just get the communication, but you get tools that build on top and make you more efficient as a developer. As we've designed a lot of our tools to be able to enable plugins, so that if you want to visualize something in a particular way, you can just add a plugin to visualize that exactly what you want to see in the way you want to see it and add that to the system and extend it yourself. Um, we also encourage if you do that, people to release it back. But um, yeah, with the license that's, again, not yeah. required. What are you working on the hardest now? What, what's your current challenge that you really... Th so the big thing that we're working on at OSRF right now is ROS 2.0. Uh, we're coming back to the ROS ecosystem. We've, ROS is now coming up on seven years mm. of operation, and we've learned a lot about it. And what we really want to do is we want to come back, and there are things that we've identified that we would like to do differently, but because there's a ton of ROS users around the world, uh, we don't want to change their API under them, and mm. we want to keep stability so that mm. they can keep doing great research, mm. building great products. And we're working on the next generation of ROS. Um, and for that purposes, we want to make it so that it's even more friendly for people to build products on top of. Uh, there are a lot of things when we have commercial users that come in and say, we want this feature, we want this feature, we want this feature, mm -hmm. that we are, um, it's functional, but it's not at the level that the commercial users would like. So, so kind of taking the seven-year experience you now have and boiling it down to, to, uh, to, uh, to a new, improved version, so to speak. But at the same time, keeping the old stuff working. There will be a transition path, and mm -hmm. the old and the, the ROS 1 and the ROS 2 systems will be interoperable. And so you can run a system that's running both par parts in each. You, your old stuff could just continue to do whatever it does. And when you need the new feature of ROS 2.0, you could do that in the, in, in the, new, in the new system then. Exactly. And the, the improvements we're making to the system in terms of reliability, repeatability, mm -hmm. um, we want those to be the selling points. So that when you come along and you say, I want those features, it's worth it for you to mm -hmm. rework into the new system. And we're not going the old system will keep working for a long time. We're going to make sure to keep supporting that. But as we look forward, we want to make, there will be improvements to the core infrastructure that will make it more valuable to you as a robot integrator, robot developer, that will sell you on converting. To Can you talk a bit about the, the Ross Industrial? Is that part of what you do? Or? So Ross Industrial is a separate consortium set mm -hmm. up. Um, there being, it's being spearheaded by Southwest Research Institute mm -hmm. in San Antonio, Texas. Mm -hmm. And they're bringing together a group of people that, or a group of companies that want to have Ross, use ROS in industrial contexts. Mm -hmm. And it's a way that they can aggregate developer time and resources and figure out these are things that are common interests for our consortium members. 
let's put some effort in a centralized effort among the consortium members. Each one will contribute a little bit, and then we can go much farther so that mm. this core fun fundamental piece, which is too big for any individual mm. to sit down and sponsor themselves, but they really do want it. And so now with a consortium, it provides this mechanism that we can push the core capabilities farther, which is in the interest of all the consortium members. But then also they're releasing most of their work open source for the entire ROS community as well. Um, how's the relationship between you two, the, these two entities? Uh, we're also a member of the consortium, so we provide input and feedback on their decision-making process as the consortium. Could you tell me, I mean, you moved this out of Villa Garage because being an, an, an open source non-profit foundation made it easier for everyone to come around, sit around the same table. Could you tell me a little bit about the challenge of being a non-profit open source? Uh, the main difference between being a for-profit company and a non-profit is that uh, we do not have shares and we have a mission statement mm -hmm. to promote open source robotics. And so we, we are scoped by that mission statement. Mm -hmm. and. That is basically the difference between us and a for-profit company. What would be the major challenge, you think, running this as a non-profit company? Is it finding funding? Is it operating with other for-profit ventures? Or? Well, we need, to, we need to be able to find ways that we can interact with the community while maintaining our, within our mission. Mm -hmm. uh, we can do almost all the main functionality. We, can, uh, we look for grants. We can take contracts and we can take donations as well. We're always, we're always appreciative of donations. Yeah, of course. I mean, we could just encourage donating of both financial means and, of course, time in improving the, the, what is publicly available for everyone. I mean, yep. is it money or, or developer time? If you could wish for something, one of those two, what would be the most significant now, you think? The most significant we'd like is we'd like developer time, people to volunteer, join the community. Um, it's much more powerful if we just have a large body of individuals contributing. Um, at the core, we, we need money to be able to maintain the core of the system and keep things running. Uh, but it's much more valuable for you as an individual to come and just contribute, release software, make patches, update documentation. Any of those things can be super valuable to the larger community. And they don't require going through the jump hurdles of making monetary contributions, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen open source software be very successful in the internet domain with WordPress or GIMP or, or many, I mean, Apache servers and all that stuff. Um, but hard, robotics and hardware have a unique challenge in, in the safety aspect because we're out there, we're running around. Some of our robots are very strong and powerful or heavy. Mm -hmm. You being open source, do you see that as a challenge or a re um, good or bad thing when it comes to the safety and security of our robotic systems? I think that open source is super valuable to verifying systems. Um, you have a full audit trail of everything that goes in there. You ha can go through and validate and verify anything. If you're going to pull something in and you want to know that it's going to work right, you want to be able to dig in and go down and look at the source and say, yes, I see what Tully, the developer, did at this point, mm. and I believe that what he's doing is correct. Mm. If you find something you think, you can raise a flag, you can point it out, mm. and then it can be discussed in the community. I am a strong believer in open source software in the fact that in critical, often low-level components, where safety and security is of, 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 of the utmost essence, because we don't want to hurt people with our robots, yes. um, open source, being able to verify everything that goes in, 
um, is just essential. And I also think that the long-term aspect of this is going to be a, a, available in this shape. I mean, if you stop developing tomorrow, it's still going to be available in, in this shape or form. And yep. that gives you, um, if you build your company on this, you know that no dramatic changes is going to occur without you knowing them. And it's always going to be available and you're going to have a graceful exit then if needed. Yeah, so avoiding vendor lock-in is really valuable to commercial entities that are considering zooming in and adopting it. Um, I know, the, for example, the, international, uh, the Robonaut on the International Space Station, they went up there and they developed, they were using proprietary software to run the Robonaut, but that company decided to stop supporting that product. As companies sometimes do. It, it make, yes, and it, it's in their interest. They can't afford to do it if it's not not making money, um, they have to stop. And so the, there was not enough big customer base, they decided not to support this. And so now, the, on the International Space Station, the new version of Robonaut, when the legs went up, they got a software upgrade. And they're, they're now using ROS and Orocos to control the Robonaut on the space station. Because you have that, uh, you can inspect the source code, you have access to the source code, and you know that uh, should ROS for some reason stop supporting it or not add a feature that you're desperate to have in your product, you could maintain it and add that feature yourself if need be. Exactly, and I know they're they're using an older release of ROS because they NASA has put very good at doing verification. <laughs> yeah, They've run yeah. it through a lot of verification, and they know that it's going to be safe for their purposes. Technology readiness levels you need to do go into space are just crazy, right? I mean, well, they so I believe they have triple redundant safety systems on Robonaut. You really need that because an accident here on Earth is is a big problem, but an accident in space is just hugely expensive and risky for the people up there. Yeah. Um, how do you see the future of, of ROS? I mean, ROS is unique in the fact that when the computer system, when, when operating systems for computer became available, they were started out as proprietary closed systems. There have been also proprietary systems. Uh, there was Microsoft Robotics Studio. But we really think that being open and having building the large community has enabled ROS to grow much beyond what any of these other competitors were doing. And um, we'd like to have sort of the continuing ecosystem that Linux does for computer OSs. The difference between Linux and, and ROS is, of course, that ROS is so early in the history of robotics. I mean, you're already seven years old, and that's basically the age of, of this la latest boom we've had in robotics. So the event we are at here today is RoboBusiness, and they're 10 years old, and you're seven years old. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just, I, and I think that that's going to set the robot industry and business up and community up in a totally different way as opposed to the laptop and, and, and smartphone and, and, and tablet operating systems that are usually closed. It's just going to be that much more open to, to um, startups. Yeah, so Ross is great at enabling startups. Mm. Um, I went to an event in Silicon Valley. There was a pitch fire and eight different companies were mm. presenting their stuff to VCs. And of the eight companies, five were actually using Ross. And of those five, I watched the presentations, none of them actually said they were using Ross in their presentation. They're selling their company, presenting to VCs, and they don't actually want Ross is now just a building block that they're building on top of. Which was your original goal, I would think. Right, right. it's great. It's, Ross is enabling them to go farther. And I, I knew three of those companies prior to they're actively in the Ross community. But two more of them, I went up and said, hey, how are, you, what, how are you doing this? Have you heard of Ross? And they're like, oh, yeah, we're using that on the hood. It's great. We love it. 
And we, like, that's the great thing about the Ross community is that there's a lot of very public activity on the Ross community, but there's also this hidden activity. There's stealth startups using Ross. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that we know. We do have absolutely no knowledge that they're using it, but they're using it effectively. They're building companies. They're pitching them to VCs. We, it's easy to underestimate what it means to have if I may say so, the operating systems for uh, system for robotics as an open source project, rather than Linux coming in decades after the fact and trying to 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 provide this freedom and openness that it's doing, um, this is going to be an enormous long-term impact on positive impact on on the robotics field, and uh, I think it's great work that you're doing. Do you see Ross being um, end user exposed? For end users, we're actually looking at putting together the app type ecosystem, where if you have a robot, there'll be an app ecosystem that you can then pull in, say, I want to run this capability. You search online, you do something. And if you say, I want to run this app, it will actually install everything you need on the robot, configure the robot as you need to use it for that app and then deploy it. This usually turns into then a market where you want to sell your app. And if you compare the closed app stores and you compare it with the open web where you can just download any software and from, to your computer, this would be an open thing too, I would presume, right? So We're definitely going to be pushing the open end. Mm. Uh, we don't, we're very much open source advocates. We're coming, most of us are coming in from the open source computer systems. Mm -hmm. We know about open, and we, we really don't want to lock it down. Mm -hmm. As a nonprofit, our goal is not mm -hmm. to monetize. Our goal is to facilitate. As an outsider to the computer industry or to the robotics industry, it's hard to realize how bad a uh, closed system really is in the long term. And the longer exposure everyone has to proprietary system, the more positive they get to to open systems. Very interesting to, to hear what you're doing at the foundation and thank you very much for taking the time to do an interview. Oh, thanks for asking me. I hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode is produced together with Vvolver. Vvolver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that help them innovate. It's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optomica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Depth. Optimica rents anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit optimica.com to connect. I'm your host, Per Sherboy. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.